Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. I hope you're doing well and staying safe during this COVID-19 pandemic. We've got another excellent episode for you today. In part 1, we're going to go over the latest news around Serie A and Napoli. Then in part two, we'll do another transfer talk, and today we're finally going to talk about Dries Mertens. And finally, in part three, we'll revisit another classic Napoli match. Today, we're going to look at the second match of the 1987 campaign between Napoli and Juventus. So let's get right into it, starting with the news. UEFA came out and said that the domestic leagues should do everything they can to finish the 2019-2020 seasons. But if they cannot get the seasons completed then the national associations must submit their clubs to UEFA for the 2020-2021 competitions, and those selections must be objective, transparent, and non-discriminatory, and using the current rankings meets those criteria. So not too long after UEFA made that statement, we learned that the Dutch Eredivisie had ended its season. Now last episode we had reported that the Eredivisie had been suspended until September 1st, which was based on the Dutch government's decision to ban all sporting events until that date. And the Eredivisie announced that they will not be awarding a title this season, which is the first time there will be no champion in the league since it was formed in 1956. Now, this actually seems like the right decision when you consider that Ajax and Alkmaar were tied atop the table. I'm fine with using goal differential to decide the champion when all games have been played, but I don't think it would be right to do that with an incomplete season. What was more controversial, though, were the decisions they made around the European competition and promotion and relegation. So starting with European competition, Ajax and Alkmaar will both enter the qualification round of the Champions League, 
while third place Feyenoord would enter the group stage of the Europa League. PSV and Willem, who are in fourth and fifth respectively, will enter the Europa League qualification round, but all of that is subject to UEFA's approval. Now there's some controversy there because FC Utrecht, who's only three points behind Willem, uh, for fifth place have a game in hand, so in effect they're being handed a loss for that game. And if I had to guess, that decision was probably based on the fact that Utrecht's game in hand was against first place Ajax. In any event, it appears Utrecht is going to appeal the decision. But to me, what's even more controversial than that is the decision to suspend promotions and relegations. So typically, the top two clubs in the Erst Divisie, which is the Dutch second division, are automatically promoted, and then third through eighth play a playoff to determine the third promotion club. So as it stands, Kambur are 11 points clear of third place, and yet they have been declined promotion. Now, I found these decisions really interesting because the Eredivisie has a lot of similarities to Serie A when you consider how many matches have been played, how close the standings are at different levels, and the second division standings. So if we were to apply the same logic that was used in the Netherlands to Serie A today, here's what would happen. Juventus, Lazio, Inter, and Atalanta would all enter the group stage of the Champions League, Roma and Napoli would enter the group stage of the Europa League, and Milan would play in the qualification round. Now Hellas Verona, like Utrecht, would miss out even though they have a game in hand. Mind you, Verona's game in hand is against Cagliari, which is not the first place team as is the case with Utrecht, so maybe Serie A would award Hellas the win, but to be honest I wouldn't be shocked if they used the current standings because there's probably more money to be made with a storied club like Milan playing in Europe than Hellas Verona. And finally, Benevento, who currently have a 22-point lead over third place, would not be promoted to Serie A. Fortunately, it doesn't look like that will be necessary. Just after we published the last episode, which was on Thursday, FIGC moved the end of the season to August 2nd, and then today, Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte announced measures to relax some of the restrictions currently in place, uh, in order to stimulate the economy as safely as possible. And regarding football, he announced that individual training will be permitted as of May 4th, and then group training will be allowed on May 18th. Uh, but places where public gathers, at, such as bars and restaurants, will have to wait longer, and schools won't reopen until September. So when you consider how much Serie A contributes to the Italian economy, in conjunction with the WorkSafe protocols FIGC submitted to the government about a week ago, including playing behind closed doors, you can appreciate why football was given the green light. Finally, UEFA has sent a letter to the various federations giving them until May 25th, which is about a month from now, to advise UEFA whether the respective championships will be finished or not, how they will be finished, and on what dates. Moving on to Napoli news, Rino Gattuso has only a few more days to decide whether to terminate his contract early. His contract currently expires on June 30th, but all indications are that he will not exercise that termination right. If he doesn't, then the club will have a termination right, which they have until June 8th to decide on, but it also appears that the club does not want to part ways, so we'll give you an update on that in about a week's time. In other news, Gazzetta della Sport reported that Dries Mertens and Piotr Zelinski are ready to sign new contracts and to pay for the fines for the mutiny. However, they're looking for De Laurentiis to drop the civil cases against the players for reputational damage, but De Laurentiis is not willing to budge. Now, the reason I mentioned that report, which sounds like your standard transfer rumor, 
is because the club apparently took issue with the report, so much so that it would issue the following statement on the club's official website. Napoli notes with concern that once again the Gazzetta della Sport has published an article by Maurizio Nicita full of inaccuracies and references to untrue circumstances inserted in context and situations not verified by the author. The perplexity derives from the fact that the journalist, before writing a background and reconstruction of facts, should listen to all interested parties to ascertain the truthfulness of what is then reported to the readers. And in the case of today's article, which concerns the negotiations for contractual renewals by Zelensky and Mertens, this was not done. We write a quote-unquote piece, inventing meetings, dates, figures, critical issues of negotiations, etc., evidently drawing only on partial and, moreover, poorly informed sources. One wonders how it is possible that the Gazzetta della Sport, a historical, authoritative, and internationally renowned newspaper, allows articles without the minimum requirements regarding the reliability of the reported facts, such as the one in question, to go to press. Unfortunately, it is not the first time that this has happened, but Napoli will always be on the side of readers who have the right to know true and verified news. As soon as decisions of the competent authorities regarding the aforementioned competitions are known definitively, the club will proceed to communicate through its official website any procedures and tools made available to users with reference to the individual cases. So at first I thought it was a bit odd that the club would issue such a long statement in response to this particular transfer rumor given how many rumors are currently out there and have been since the break started. But then I read it again and the part that stands out to me is we write a quote-unquote piece inventing meetings, dates, figures, critical issues of negotiations, etc. Well, meetings, dates, and figures are in just about every transfer rumor, but critical issues on negotiations are not. So I think it's safe to assume that the issue here was the claim that De Laurentiis is holding up the deals because he doesn't want to drop the civil suits, especially when you consider that these civil cases are for reputational damage. So this report would only damage De Laurentiis' reputation further, not that he has a good one in the first place. And if you're a Gazetta, there's not much you can do. You know, they will probably respond with a general statement about the integrity of their journalism, but it certainly won't name sources. And it's not as though the sources are going to identify themselves. I suspect the agents are the sources here using the media to influence decisions. But now I'm getting into speculation, so let's just move on. Now, last episode, I mentioned the Ferrara Canavaro Foundation and the campaign they're running to raise funds to help with COVID-19, which is called the Estovecino Ate, or the I'm Near You campaign. And last I checked, the auction had raised just over 112,000 euros, and 55,000 euros of that was from the Maradona jersey donated by Chiro Ferrara. And last time we mentioned that Papu Gomez had bid, his fellow Argentinian Paulo Dybala also got into on the action, but he dropped out after the bidding uh, reached 40,000 euros. And finally, the other day we saw that Dries Mertens had donated the jersey that he wore in the Champions League against Barcelona this year, which is the game that he tied Hamsik's record for most goals for Napoli. And speaking of Mertens, he's the subject of today's transfer talk, which is coming up next in part two.
today's transfer talk, we're going to look at Dries Mertens. Now, other than Arkadush Milik, no Napoli player has been in the news more than Dries has, and the reason being his current contract, which expires on June 30th, 2020. Now, two months ago, it appeared that the terms of a renewal had been negotiated after Mertens met with De Laurentiis on March 1st. And at the time, the reports were that the meeting was very positive and that a deal was worked out that would see Mertens earn 4.5 million euros a year in salary, a 2 million euro signing bonus, up to 1 million euros in performance bonuses, and he would remain with the club in some capacity post-retirement. Unfortunately, this meeting happened just as coronavirus was beginning to spread. The first cases were reported in Italy in mid-February, and by March 1st, they were already around 1,700 cases. So the negotiation stalled. And now, because of the economic impact of COVID-19, the expectation is those terms will need to be renegotiated with Mertens earning less than what was originally proposed. So we'll see what Napoli is ultimately willing to pay, but I did feel like the original $4.5 million was pretty expensive. I believe only Koulibaly and Insigne make more than that, and it's especially expensive when you consider that Mertens would essentially be a bench player. If Milik stays, Mertens is second in line for the center forward position and possibly third in line behind Patania. Now, Mertens is flexible enough that he can play both on the wing and in the midfield, but other than right wing, those other starting roles have already been claimed by Insigne, Zelinski, Fabian, and Demme. Now, the right wing is open with Callihan expected to leave, but I expect Napoli to sign a player to fill that void. Hopefully, it'll be Jeremy Boga. But even if they don't sign anyone, I think Politano would start on the right wing and Mertens would again be an option off the bench, particularly when Napoli is behind and need to inject some creativity into the attack, which is exactly how we've seen Gattuso use him. So again, 4.5 million is pricey for a substitute. But like any other asset, price is a function of supply and demand, and the demand for Mertens appears to be high. According to the papers, the Belgian has drawn the interest of a number of clubs, including Atletico Madrid, Manchester United, Arsenal, Newcastle, Juventus, Roma, Monaco, and probably others. But the two front runners appear to be Chelsea and Inter. Starting with Chelsea, they were interested in Mertens back in January, and it appears they are still interested now. Gianluca Di Marzio has reported that Frank Lampard has been in direct contact with Mertens. Now, Chelsea just exercised their right to extend Olivier Giroud's contract to 2021, but that doesn't really change much. Giroud can no longer walk away, but Chelsea could still sell him, particularly if they have a replacement like Mertens lined up. The link to Inter seems to be tied to a possible sale of Lautaro Martinez. Now, there's also a Belgian connection there with Romelu Lukaku, who supposedly has been in touch with Mertens as well, and supposedly Inter are willing to pay Mertens 5 million euros per year. The first thing I expect to happen is for Mertens to extend to August 2nd, 2020. I think both sides would benefit from doing that. Mertens would have more time to negotiate and De Laurentiis would have more time to see when play resumes and how COVID-19 will impact the financials. Second, what I think should happen is De Laurentiis should put his ego aside and drop the civil cases if that's what in fact is stalling the negotiations. And if he really does want to restore his reputation, he should take that $2 million in fines and either donate it to help with COVID-19 or use it to pay the staff that were laid off. But De Laurentiis is pretty stubborn and he's trying to prove a point, so we'll see if that actually happens or not. Finally, I think Martins will in fact stay with the club. 
I don't think he would leave simply to earn a higher salary. He's at the tail end of his career, so finances are not really an issue for him. Also, Inter's offer is pretty similar to Napoli's. Even if Inter offers slightly more than Napoli does, I don't think that will be enough to pull Mertens away from the city and the club that he loves. He's very close with longtime staffer Tommaso Starace, who he dedicated his Champions League goal to and who he's remained in contact with during the lockdown. If he were to leave, I think it would be more for a starting position on another club. Now that's possible both at Chelsea and Inter, but only if those clubs sell other players. I personally do not think that Inter will sell Lautaro, which means that Mertens would be a substitute there as well. And if he were to leave, Chelsea seems more likely to me. Now, I'm by no means an expert on Chelsea, but they're pretty weak in the attack, especially if they sell Olivier Giroud. Lampard, despite using a variety of different formations this year, seems to prefer the lone striker, who will be Tammy Abraham, so even at Chelsea, Mertens would be a substitute there too. And what no other club can offer him is a position with Napoli's management team post-retirement, assuming that that's still on the table. So if Mertens is not going to be paid much more, and if he's not going to be a starter, then he may as well stay at the club and the city that he loves. So that's it for part two. In part three, we'll review another classic Napoli match. Before I get to the match, if you're looking for classic Napoli games to watch, 90.com, which is 90.com, published an excellent article called 9 Games Napoli Fans Should Rewatch While Football Takes a Break. That's where I'm getting these matches from, and credit to Everything Napoli and Far From Vesuvius Twitter pages for posting the link, which is where I first saw it. So let's get to the game. As I mentioned at the top, today's classic match review is the second match between Napoli and Juventus in the 1986-87 campaign played at the Stadio San Paolo. So this game took place on match day 24. Now at the time there were only 16 teams in the league, so the season was 30 games long, which meant that there were only five games remaining after this one. Heading into the match, the top of the table was extremely close. Napoli were in first place with 34 points, Roma were in second with 31, Inter and Juve were in third with 30, and Milan were in fifth with 29 points. And for the Avellino fans out there, Ilupi were sitting in 15th place at this point, but they would actually finish the year in 8th, which is the best uh, ever finish they had in Serie A. Unfortunately, the following season they would be relegated to Serie B and never return. But back to the match, Napoli lined up in the 4-4-2 formation with Claudio Garella starting in goal. The back four included Ciro Ferrara, who was only 19 at the time, Moreno Ferrario, Alessandro Renica, and Giuseppe Volpecina. In the midfield, Francesco Romano, Salvatore Bagni, uh, Fernando De Napoli, and Diego Maradona. And up top were Luigi Caffarelli and Bruno Giordano. Juventus lined up in a 4-5-1 with Stefano Tacconi in goal. At the back was Nicolo Caricola, Luciano Favaro, Stefano Pioli, who we currently know as Milan's caretaker manager, and the great Gaetano Shirea, who many Juventini consider the greatest defender in the history of the club. 
In the midfield, Juventus lined up with Massimo Bonini, Renato Busso, Leonello Manfredonia, Massimo Mauro, and Michel Platini, and the lone striker was Aldo Serena. Match di questa 24esima giornata di campionato, nona di ritorno. I bianconeri tentano al San Paolo il colpaccio che riapre la lotta per lo scudetto. Gli azzurri cercano di chiudere il trittico terribile delle partite con una vittoria. Le squadre... Napoli would storm out of the gates, immediately putting Juventus on their back heels, and it would only take 14 minutes for the Partenope to find the back of the goal. Maradona che facendo a Pieri che la barriera non è... Esatto, il tocco a Renica, la gran botta in fila di gol di Renica, ha beffato Tacconi, la palla fortissima, gli è schizzata dalle mani, è passata fra le gambe di Tacconi ed è terminata in rete con lo stadio in delirio, quattordicesimo minuto di gioco nel corso del primo tempo, il Napoli in vantaggio con una gran botta di Renica su tocco. Di... This play started with a foul on Giordano while outside of the box. Maradona and Renica would stand over the ball to take the free kick. Maradona touched the ball forward for Renica, whose low hard strike from 30 meters out would bounce just in front of Tacconi and find the back of the net. Now Tacconi probably should have done better, but nonetheless Napoli was up 1-0. Juventus would come close to equalizing in the final minute of the half. Pioli's header off of a Massimo Mauro corner kick would fall for Aldo Serena with his back to the goal. He'd spin and fire, but his shot would just graze the outside of the upright. Napoli would come close to doubling their lead in the third minute of the second half, but Tacconi would make an excellent save on a long-range effort from Francesco Romano. And only a few minutes later, Juventus would equalize. Renato Busso would receive the ball at the top of the box and play it out wide for Michel Platini. Platini would play an excellent first-time cross into the area for Serena to head home, tying the game at 1. And though the momentum had swung in Juventus's favor, Napoli would retake the lead in the 58th minute. La finta ancora Ferrara servito sulla destra, il cross al centro della sua terra, respinge fuori aria Caricola, recupera la palla prontamente Maradona, il cross, il tocco di testa di Ferrara, l'inciolata Canara, il gol di Romano. Bellissima l'azione della Napoli ancora in vantaggio, vedete Dino Celentano esultare il dirigente accompagnatore del Napoli, stupenda l'azione del Napoli, tredicesimo minuto di gioco nel corso della ripresa, il Napoli di nuovo in vantaggio, il cross di Maradona. On this goal, Maradona chased the ball down on the right wing and played an in-swinging cross into the box. Giordano would get ahead on the ball, which would fall for Carnavale, who wasn't expecting it but got just enough of the ball for Romano to smash in from close range. And that would prove to be the game winner. Juventus was clearly the better side in the second half, but were unable to get another one past Garella. So Napoli would win the match by a score of 2-1. Bianconero viene recuperata da Ferrari che anticipa Briaschi in fallo laterale. Rimessa in gioco del numero 15 Bianconero. Per Manfredonia, per Scirea, il passaggio in profondità verso Serena. E in questo preciso istante Pieri ordina la chiusura delle ostilità alla fine della partita e il Napoli si aggiudica questo successo, una vittoria del Napoli molto sofferta ma pienamente meritata, la partita più che bella è stata vincente e vincissima di emozioni tenendo gli 85.000 spettatori con il fiato sospeso fino alla fine. Ok, so a few final comments before we wrap this one up. The Maradona was good in this match, again being involved in both goals, he didn't dominate the match as we had come to expect, but Francesco Romano had a very strong game and looked dangerous throughout. 
Moreno Ferrario also had an excellent game at the back, especially in the first half where he made two very important tackles, and Garella also made a couple of key saves in the second half to protect the lead. Now Napoli themselves probably could have scored a few more goals in this match had it not been for a strong performance by Taconi, who I think made up for his mistake on the first goal with a few big saves as well. And one of those saves came on a Maradona header around the 80th minute, it was a flying header from close range that Taconi kept out. And this proved to be an important win for Napoli as it put them 5 points clear of Roma who lost 2-1 to Udinese on the same day. And it was also an important win because Napoli would draw their final 3 matches of the season, but that would be just enough for Napoli to win their first ever Scudetto, 3 points clear of Juventus. So that's going to do it for episode 4, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give it a 5 star rating. As always, if you have any questions or if you'd like me to focus on anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast at Forzanopoly Pod. Also, if you're looking for some reading material, you can find my articles at worldfootballindex.com. So hopefully this pod helped take your mind off of COVID-19 for just a little bit. Until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre.